Steve Jobs is, or was, he's passed away, but was the the founder of Apple and a bunch of other companies. He he said that one of the things that, that he did, because he was a busy person, right? He was the type of person that was always in demand, always having to make decisions. He said that one of the things that he did in order to eliminate at least one decision from his life is he wore a signature, like half turtleneck, mock turtleneck, Every day, he he walked into his closet. He had one pair, or one one type of shirt, thirty of one shirt, thirty of one pair of pants, and that was just what he wore. And it didn't matter if he was going to do a presentation. It didn't matter if he was going into the office. He would always wear the same thing because he needed to save that critical decision-making power for something that was a little bit more important than than what he was going to wear that day. This last week, we had a, a, an interesting Tuesday. Okay? Uh, Doug and Bonnie, I mentioned them, they, they came into town. They were, they were awesome uh, in helping us kind of organize things and get everything ready. But what it meant that was that Tuesday morning, there were a lot of decisions that need to be made, right? It wasn't just what color and what type and what, you know, but it was, it was when are we going to do it? How are we going to order it? Who's going to order it? All of these things. And so in like two hours, I was feeling this pressure of, I've made all of my decisions that I can make for today. And I am just tapped out. And by, by one o'clock, I was yawning. I was feeling drained. I was depleted. And I was actually grateful because I've got some pictures here that I'm going to show. But our Christmas tree lot, on, on, so on Tuesday at about, you know, one o'clock-ish, the, the truck showed up to deliver our Christmas trees, and we can just go ahead and cycle through all of, these, all of these pictures here. And for like an hour, or no, two and a half hours, I think, for about two and a half hours, I didn't have to think about anything. I had to do a lot of heavy work unloading these trees from the truck, but I didn't have to make any decisions. Lonnie was there. He was telling me where to go and, and what to, you know, where to put things and stuff like that. It was amazing just not having to think for a couple of hours. I was just able to, to exercise. And by the end of that, even though my muscles were sore and tired, I felt like my mind was, was kind of refreshed. I felt like my mind was, was a little, was like back to normal because I had been able to stop thinking and just do for a little bit. And so today we're going to talk about decision-making, because I think that some of us, we get into this situation where there are so many things going on that it's hard to, it's hard to focus, it's hard to decide, it's hard to prioritize, it's hard, and so we get overwhelmed, we get anxious, we get worried, what if I mess up, what if I don't make the right decision? We have all of these thoughts spiraling through our heads, and it just leaves us paralyzed, doesn't it? They say that the more decisions a person makes over the course of a day, the more physically, mentally, and emotionally depleted they become. And I was definitely feeling that this last Tuesday. In fact, uh, people call this the paradox of choice. The paradox of choice. We think that if there's a lot of options, that we'll be able to make more people happy. You go into Baskin Robbins, there's 31 flavors of ice cream, and it's like there is something here for everybody. But when you're standing at that counter and staring at those 31 flavors, you're like, well, I don't know which one I want. 
Do I want the, the mocha chocolate chip or the double chocolate fudge? Or do I want the, the chocolate chip fudge mint? Or, you know, and there's, there's all of these different similar options. And you're standing there and you're like, what if I get this wrong? What if, what if my, my head says I wanted the double chocolate fudge, but my stomach says it wanted the chocolate chip mint, and now I, I'm eating it, but I'm not really enjoying it. And so we get into this, this paradox of choice. How many of you guys have ever been to the Cheesecake Factory? Their, their menu is like an encyclopedia, right? It's got so many options. In fact, so many options that they say there's over 250 items on their menu and it takes people two and a half times longer to decide than at a normal restaurant. Because I don't get to go there very often, and so I don't know what I like to eat there. So I have to go through every single page. And then I'm like, well, that oriental chicken salad sounds good, but so does the teriyaki chicken, and so does the, the cheeseburger. And man, I, I don't know, I'd like a, a burrito right now. And, and there's just endless, endless options. And so what happens in that situation is people freeze up. They tense up. They get, they get you know, uh, irritated. They get, they get anxious. They get distracted. And once you've made the decision, then there's also this idea of, of regret, right? And what if, I, what if I messed it up? And what if I, because you're looking now at the opportunity cost. You're looking at all of the different flavors, all of the different items, all of the different things you could have had. And you're like, well, what if you know, maybe I should have, or next time I'm going to try, or, you know, and, and the worst thing is after you've made the decision, and then a plate of food goes by you, and you're like, well, wait a second, maybe I should have picked that one there. So then, we start to anticipate regret before we even, before we even get the food to say, well, I, I'm going to enjoy this. We start to anticipate, well, but what if I missed out on something that could have been better, and then we, then we get into this, this cycle of self-blame. We're like, I never pick the right thing. I'm always messing it up. And food, obviously, is a silly example, right? And, and ultimately, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter whether, you, well, I guess it, it does matter sometimes. If you pick the fried chicken over the salad, it, it's going to matter in the long run. Um, <laughs> but for that one meal, it doesn't, it doesn't matter that much. But, but it can lead to this paralysis. It can lead to this overwhelming sense of doubt. So Philippians chapter 4 again says the peace of God, verse 7. This is, this is the section that we're going to focus on today. It says the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now we talked about it last week, but I want to bring it up again. What, what uh, Paul the apostle is going through as he writes this letter to the church in Philippi. Because he's under house arrest in Rome, and he's talking about peace. And he's talking about how he expects God to come through for him. He's awaiting a trial and a possible execution. Over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about how God is near us, and how when we praise him, it gets our eyes off of our problem and onto the one that can fix our problems. And today we're going to talk about the promise, that when we take our needs to him, he will give us peace. The promise is when we take our needs to him, he will give us peace. So the question is, how do you find peace in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the storm, in the midst of all of the things that are happening in your life? How do you find 
peace in those things. When your mind is racing, when you're feeling overwhelmed, or when you're feeling numb, or when you're feeling uncertain, or when you're feeling pressure, when you're feeling fear, when all of these emotions are on you, how do you find peace in those storms? And then the other question that I want to answer today is, where do you turn when you just can't decide? Where do you turn when the decisions, the amount of options are just so overwhelming, you don't know what to do? Who do you turn to in those moments? And making decisions can be stressful, can't they? And we've, been, we've been talking about it, but for a lot of us in here, we've got a lot of big decisions to make. For younger families, you might be decide, trying to decide about schools, right? If you're going to go put your kids in public school and all of the, the things that are associated with that, or are you going to go private school, but then who can afford private school? Are you going to homeschool them? But then if you homeschool them, then, then it's all on me, right? And then, then I'm responsible for everything that happens. And if they can't function in life, it's all my fault. Uh, it's nice to be able to blame somebody else every once in a while. So you're, you're worried, right? You're stressed out. For those of you with young kids, you're like, what should I do here? I know there's these options, and I can't see the future. I can't predict. I went to public school. I turned out fine, but now public schools seem to be different than they were when I was younger, and, and how do I make a decision when all of this is going on? For some of you, you're trying to decide right now whether you should continue to rent or whether you should try to buy a house and the interest rates have priced you out of the market for now, but you're like, well, if I can just save up a little bit, maybe I can get into a house soon. And so you're trying to, you're trying to navigate that and how do I save and what do I do? And, and when I do decide to jump into the housing market, what do I look for? And I don't under, really understand this, but I know kind of what I like and, and how do I make sure that I'm getting the right thing? Because when I buy a house, that's a commitment for a long time. You can't just go and buy a new, a new house six months later if you messed up. And so you're, you're, you're confused and you're anxious and you're, you're frustrated. You don't know what to do. And, and for, for those of you with a little bit older kids, you're trying to make decisions about what, what sports leagues they should be a part of, what opportunities they should get. Because there hits a point, right, where when everybody is off and running in a million directions, then nobody has peace. And when everybody is doing soccer and band and drama and, and debate club and, and they have church youth group and they've got all of these different things that are filling their schedules, then we never get any time just ourselves. We never get any time to relax. And so, so we've got to balance this, right? How do we balance the opportunities with the needs of the entire family? And so you're, you're, you're stressed. You don't, want to, you don't want your kids to miss out, but also you don't want your kids to miss out. So there's this stress, there's this, there's this tension, right, that you're trying to navigate between. Some of you have a, a car that's breaking down, and you're trying to decide right now, do I put more money into it, or do I take that money and put it into a new car? If I put more money into the old car, it, it might break down again in six months, and so I might end up investing more money, but if I put more money, if I decide to put my money towards a new car, then I'm going to have payments every month, and how do I continue to keep up on those payments month after month? And how do, I, how do I navigate this? So, so it's like with an older car, like I'm going to pray over it. I'm going to trust God. God, I need you to heal this car. If I get a newer car, I'm going to pray over it. I'm going to trust God. God, I need you to give me the money to be able to make my car payments. And either way, it's tension, right? It's stress. It's anxiety. It's overwhelming. It's frustrating. It's just so complicated. 
The truth is we have too many choices in life. If you go to the grocery store, there's something like 60,000 items or 40,000 items in the average grocery store. And some of those are, you know, peanut butter and, and cereal and bread, but, but oftentimes it's eight different types of peanut butter. And how do you know whether you should get the organic or whether you should get the, the kind that like separates and then you have to mix it all the time or just get the, the, the tried and true? And cereal, you walk down the cereal aisle and you're like, I know this one looks good, but this one's good for me. And, you know, and there's so many choices. In fact, they say that the average child in America makes about 3,000 decisions a day. 3,000 decisions a day for the average child. Some of these are really inconsequential. It's what, what should I watch on TV or what shoes should I wear when I go out? But some of them have, have bigger and more meaningful consequences. But if you look at adults, they say that the average adult makes 35,000 decisions a day. 35,000 decisions a day. Like, I don't, even, I, I don't even know if there's that many seconds in a day. But, but that's, what the, that's what the statistics tell us. And so it's like 35,000 different decisions. So I'm curious to, to take a poll in here. I'm going to have you raise your hand if you agree with this statement. If you, if you think you're indecisive, go ahead and raise your hand. Okay. The people that are raising their hands right now are not indecisive. And all of the other ones actually are. You made a decision to raise your hand. Everybody else was like, I don't know. Am I, am I indecisive? I don't, I, honey, what do you think? Do you think I'm, I'm indecisive? Yes or no? It's crazy, right? There's so many decisions to be made. And then, and then because there's so many decisions, a lot of us deal with this idea of, of FOMO, right? It's the fear of missing out. It's the fear that I'm going to get it wrong, that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a, a subpar, a below average choice, and now I've missed out on something that I could be doing because I just couldn't make the decision or because I did, but I made the wrong decision and all of that. And so we want to find the right person to marry, right? We want to, to find our purpose in life. We want, we want to live for God, and we want to make sure that the things that we're doing for God are meaningful. And so we, we, we push, and we, we strive, and we're, 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 we're uh, you know, seeking after God. And, and God, I want to make sure that I get this right. And every week we've got people down at the altar that are asking, the, you know, asking this question. I have a decision to make. I've got something that's come up. I've got a, a, a diagnosis and I need to figure out treatment. All of these things. And it's like, it's like, God, I want to get it right. I want to make sure that I'm getting it right. But when we're not sure to do what to do, then we hesitate, we freeze, and ultimately we don't do anything. Thankfully, the Bible has a lot to say about how we make decisions, but sadly, it's not going to tell you which person is right for you. Uh, there's, uh, unfortunately, there's not a flashing neon sign that says, you should pick Tom, or, <laughs> or, or there's, not a, there's not a flashing neon sign that says, you should accept this job opportunity, right? Or you should go and do, do this thing with your life. There, we, don't, we don't get that, but the Bible does give us some pretty clear indications of how we should make decisions. And we're actually going to look, rather than, rather than looking at, at a, a thus saith the Lord passage, we're going to look at a story in the book of Acts. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Acts 15. We're going to look at when the early church 
was trying to make a very important decision and what they did in that, in that period of time. The early church had lots of decisions to make. They needed to decide whether they were going to continue worshiping on the Sabbath, which is Saturday, like all of their Jewish brothers and sisters, or if they were going to worship on the first day of the week, which you guys can see how it worked out now because we all worship on Sundays rather than Saturdays. But they, this was at one point, this was a decision that the early church had to make. Do we worship on Saturday or do we worship on Sunday, which was the first day of the week? Um, they needed to make decisions about, about how do we care for widows, right? There was this whole controversy early in the book of Acts where some, some people were being taken care of and other people weren't. And so they appointed deacons. And actually, our, our, our board today is a reflection of that first church saying, we need to have some people that are focused on the care and the ministry, loving people and, and helping to helping to put the church, uh, helping to, to make these kinds of decisions for the church so that the pastor can focus on preaching the Word of God and, and things like that. And so, so the board actually developed from this tension, from this, this decision, but it was a big decision that they had to make at the time because some people were being left out and they didn't want that. Uh, there was persecution running rampant. In fact, by the time we get to, J, uh, to Acts 15, Peter has already been arrested twice. And James, the brother, or not, uh, not the brother of Jesus, James the apostle um, has already been executed for his faith. He's already been, been martyred for his faith. And so, so by the time we get to Acts 15, they're dealing with persecution that has caused the church to spread away from Jerusalem and to other parts of the empire. So then this guy named Paul shows up, and we've been talking about Paul recently. He's the guy that's in jail right now as he's writing this letter to the Philippians. But when he shows up in Acts, he's got a question for him because he says, hey, I've noticed something interesting. I've noticed that, that as I preach, we've got Jews that are getting saved, but we also have Gentiles that are being saved. And for those of you that don't know, a Gentile in, in this culture would be anybody that is not of Jewish descent, anybody that's not um, socially, religiously Jewish would be considered a Gentile. Judaism was, is a faith, but it's also a people group. And so anybody that was outside of that would be considered a Gentile in this, in this context. And, and Paul shows up and he says, he says, Gentiles can be saved. In fact, we've seen not only them getting saved, but they're getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. We know that God is blessing this. We know that God is in this. Uh, the Apostle Peter steps up and he says, hey, I, I've seen it too. I've seen how God has come on Gentiles. We need to start including Gentiles into our circle of faith. And for those of you in here that are non-Jewish or those of you that are watching online and you're non-Jewish, there was a big decision to be made in this moment that impacted us directly today. Because I'm not, I'm not Jewish and yet we know, we can see the end of the, end of the story, we can see the decision that was made that God included us into his kingdom, into his family, because before this, salvation was for the Jews. But after this, salvation is for everybody. And really, you could say that, that God always intended salvation to be for everybody, but the, the, the culture, the religion, the, the dogmas of the day were, were keeping it centered on, on the Jews. So Acts chapter 15, hopefully you guys can see, um, can see what, okay, so the, the main tension then, sorry, 
the main tension, then we'll read Acts 15. The main tension is if somebody is a Gentile and they become a believer, do they need to start following Jewish law? Because all of the Jews were continuing to follow Judaism, and they were just putting Jesus on top of the Judaism. They realized that Jesus was a fulfillment of all of the things that had happened in the Old Testament, all of the, all of the Old Testament laws. And so, so then with the Gentiles, though, they weren't accustomed to following Judaism. They weren't accustomed to following all of these laws and practices. And so the question was, when they get saved, we see the evidence of God on them, they're, they're getting saved, do they need to start following the practices and traditions of the church, or are they free to kind of make up their own things and do their, do their own things? And what are the guidelines and what is the, the bare minimum then that we need from people in order to say that you are a practicing believer, you are, you are saved? And so that was, the, that was the question to them. And typically to convert to Judaism... It meant getting, getting baptized, um, and it also meant getting circumcised. And if you're not sure what circumcision is, go ahead and ask your mom. Um, but <laughs> just kind of gloss over that one really quick. But imagine that on the next steps card, right? Uh, I've decided to follow Jesus. I'm ready to get baptized. You can imagine how that would be a big hindrance to somebody coming to the faith, right? You can imagine how that would have stopped somebody from wanting to follow Jesus if they knew that one of their next steps was circumcision. So this is the, this is the situation then that the early church finds itself in. Is it required for people to convert to Judaism in order to be saved? I'm just going to highlight a couple of verses because I, I, we're not going to take the time to, to read the whole chapter right now. I've, I've kind of, I've probably taken too long to set it up. I could have just read it. Um, but, but I would encourage you guys to go back later, though, and read Acts chapter 15, because it is a, an interesting discussion, and it's one of the most important things that the early church decides on happens in this chapter. But I want to focus on verses 22, 25, and 28. Verse 22 says this. It says, Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders and the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch, with Paul and Barnabas. So it seemed good to the apostles and the elders to send men to Antioch. And, and so this was, this was a committee that was going to go out and that was going to decide, it was going to examine the evidence and decide, okay, are Gentiles being saved? So they, they send them to, uh, to go with Paul and Barnabas. And really what they end up deciding is we're going to send a letter along with these people to proclaim our decision that we've made. Verse 25 says, It seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them with you, our beloved Paul. Send, to, uh, send, the, uh, send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. Verse 28, For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. And then they list off the things that are necessary for salvation. Um, <laughs> I want to focus on that phrase, seemed good. Because we've repeated it three different times. Each of those verses said it seemed good to the apostles. Now, if you're reading in the, in the NIV or the New King James, um, it, it might not translate it the same way, but, but I looked it up in the, in the Greek. It says, you know, roughly, it seemed good. Same phrase each time. Um, so are what, is what they're... Let me start again. They made this monumental decision 
And did they make it just based on a feeling? Just based on a seem good? I mean, this, this was going to affect the church 2,000 years later. And their best reasoning, their best rationale is that it seemed good? It felt right? It seems, it seems like the, the right call, so we're just going to go ahead and do it. I, it we, a lot of times today, we'll, we'll get people that, that will give this advice to one another that, that you should just do whatever makes you feel happy. Is that what they were doing here? They're just doing whatever, whatever makes them feel happy? If we look at Proverbs 14, 12, it, it tells us that we should not make our decision based on what makes us feel happy. It says there's a way that seems right to man. There's a way that seems right to man, but in the end, what does it do? It leads to death, right? There's a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way to death. So we, we see things that seem good, but can lead us to a very bad spot. It feels, feels right in the moment. I, I'm making this decision based on you know, how, I, how I feel or, or the information that I've collected. It seems good. It feels right. I'm going to go ahead and do it. And then the Bible says that oftentimes the way that seems right leads us to death. So how do we make a decision? And how did the early church make a decision in this moment I think the reason that, it, that our, our, our feelings can lead us to death is because oftentimes we're not getting the right inputs. We're not getting the right voices around us to help us make important decisions. If you hang out with the wrong people, if you listen to the wrong voices, if you live for the wrong values, your decisions are probably not going to get you where you want to go. Let me say that again. If you hang around the wrong people, if you listen to the wrong voices, this could be music, movies, TV, social media. It could be your friend group. It could be your, your family. If they're speaking negativity, if they're speaking, uh, you know, if you're looking at their life and you're like, you're not much better off than I am. Um, if they're the wrong voices in your life and you listen to them, it's probably going to lead you to the wrong conclusion. And so the most likely outcome then is that what seems right will most likely be wrong. When I was a youth pastor, we would get people that were, that were dating and, and they would come in. And Pastor Tiffany and I would, would be like, oh, I you know, got some concerns about the person you're dating. And, and inevitably, their response was some sort of variation of, well, I can change them. I, I, can, I, can, I can change them, right? And, and so then Tiffany and I would respond back, well, you know, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. If you show me the people that you're hanging out with, I can, I can tell you I've had 15 years of experience in youth ministry. I, I've seen enough times where somebody comes along saying, I can change them. I can make it, I, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll make it work. I'll, I'll, you know, all of these things. And then it ultimately leads... Not to a physical death, but oftentimes it led to a spiritual death. Oftentimes it led to them distancing themselves from God and from their faith, from their, their peer group, from their friends. It, it led to, it led to the, the death of all of these things because they wanted and they were so convinced that they could pursue this relationship and it wasn't going to affect them. But man, how often do we get like that? All of us in here, we're older and more mature. We don't, we, our, our friends don't influence us 
the same way that they used to, right? Now it's 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 fine. We you know we've we've got this now. We've we've figured it out. We've seen enough things. We've been through enough things. Our friends don't don't influence us quite the same way. But they do, don't they? I and mean, if we're really honest with ourselves, the people we hang around with, the media that we consume, the voices that are speaking into our lives, they affect us. And you can see it if you choose to look. So how could Paul, James, Barnabas, and the other church leaders then be, feel comfortable with making a decision based on what seemed good, based on what felt good or what seemed right? Let me, let me go back. I want to read those just a, a snippet of each of those verses again. Because verse 22 said, It seemed good to the apostles and the elders and to the whole church to choose Paul and Barnabas. Verse 25, It seemed good to us having come to one accord. Having come to one accord. One, one uni, you know, unity of purpose to choose men. Dot, dot, dot. For it seemed good to us in verse 28. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to do this thing. So there's a big difference here. It's not just I felt, it felt good. It felt right in the moment. I, I made a decision based on what my, what my mind was telling me to do or what my heart wanted. Um, it's, not, it's not just I, I made a decision based on that, but, but they, they had some things around them that helped them to make this decision. In verse 22, we see that it seemed right to the whole family of God. It wasn't just one group that was making this decision. It wasn't just the leaders that were making this decision. It wasn't just about lording over, but instead it was the entire assembly made this decision. Now this was a big decision that had to be made. When it comes to other things, we don't need everybody, but when there's big decisions, we want to get more input. We want more voices speaking into our lives. And, and the key is, it's not just any voices, is it? The key is it needs to be the right voices speaking into our lives. When you get together with a group of people that love Jesus, that love people, that love worship, that love the Word, that, that love uh, being, being together, that are people of faith and power, that seek His heart, that listen to His voice, when you get around people like that, and then you ask them, hey, I'm going through this, and I'm not sure what to do. This is why being involved in a small group is so important. Our small groups are winding down for the semester, but we're going to be starting them back up again in January. We're going to have a whole new round of signups going on for you to get involved. And, and honestly, you can pop into any of them right now as well on, on Wednesday nights or throughout the week. There's information back at the events counter back there. Get involved in a small group because you need to be around people that love Jesus and have been walking with Jesus a little bit longer than you have. And that have studied, God, studied God's word a little bit more than you have. Because then when you're making those decisions and you go to them and you're like, I don't know what to do here. They can say, well, when I walked through a similar situation, here's how I responded. Here's what I did. Here's, here's the, some of the pitfalls you might want to think about. Here's some of the things that you might want to consider. And so then, then you start to see that, that now my investment in this community, the this time that I've spent coming and getting involved now, it's starting to affect my life. It's starting to affect my decision-making. It's starting to affect the things that I do. In verse 25, it said they were of one mind, that they were unified in purpose. Now, I want to I say um, that 
unity is not uniformity. It doesn't mean that everybody believes exactly the same, but it means that, that we're all moving together with one goal, one goal, one purpose. We want to see lives transformed. We want to be a family that's learning to love like Jesus. We want to be going forward on mission because we believe that God has planted us here so that we can reach a community for him. And so we want to, we want to make sure that we are connecting with those that are outside. We want to make sure that we're on uh, moving together with one purpose. And it's important, again, for us to be involved in a group of people that are doing that, because then this becomes part of our filter. When I make this decision, how is it going to affect the mission that I'm on? How is it going to affect the things that God is calling me to do? And when you have other voices that can speak into your life, then you can start to make some of those decisions based on what God is calling you to do. So they made gathering together a priority in their lives. And we know this, that church isn't a building, but it's a body. And when you gather together with other believers, whether it's here or at Starbucks or at your house, you are the church. And you, you do have a purpose. You don't go to church, you are the church. And then the last one, verse 28, said it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. And this is where we're going to get back to Philippians chapter 4 and this letter that Paul is writing to the church in Philippi. Because what does he say here? Um, so, so first of all, the, the, the council in Acts there, they sought God's face and then they acted on it because it wasn't just about having... Um, it wasn't just about making a decision that, that agreed with their feelings. But they got input from other sources. They knew that they were on mission. They were going to the same place. And then when the Holy Spirit spoke to them and there was peace, then they were able to act on it because it seemed good to them. Philippians 4.7, again, the peace of God, right? The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is what it's talking about here. It's not saying that you're going to get peace when the answer comes. It's saying that before the answer, when you're making the decision, you can still have peace because you've taken it to God, because you've placed your focus on Him, because you know that He is near to you. So don't complicate it. Because too often there's so many options, there's so many different choices, it can feel overwhelming. But what are we going to do instead? We're going to take it to God. We're going to take it to other believers. And we're going to ask them, hey, would you pray with me? Would you think about this? Would you, would you help me to make a decision? Because other people can help you filter through, but they don't have the emotional ties to the decision that you have. I am really bad with directions. I'm really bad with directions. In fact, anytime I need to go anywhere and Tiffany's not in the car, I, I pull out, I pull out uh, Google Maps, right? What happens in Google Maps if I go in and it tells me to take a right-hand turn and I don't do it? What does it do? It'll start, it'll start saying rerouting, right? Or it'll start saying recalculating. Or, or you know, it'll, it'll start to, to make adjustments to the route based on where I'm at and where I'm going. And this is, this is my, last, my last thought for today, that with a posture of prayer and a perspective of, of praise, 
we will seek God and do what seems right. Let me say that one more time. With a posture of prayer and a perspective of praise, we will seek God and we will do what seems right. But it's, it's not just doing what seems right. It's we have a posture of prayer, a perspective of praise. We're going to seek God and then we're going to do what seems right. So back to this GPS example. If I'm, if I'm in the car, now when, when Tiffany's in the car, she, she's got a, an amazing mind. We can go somewhere one time and 10 years later, she's like, oh, I remember we just take a left here and we go across the bridge. And like she, she just has an amazing mind for directions. But, but when I'm in the car, I, I get lost. I, there's there's a, a, one of Judah's friends. I've taken him home dozens of times now. And I took him home on Sunday afternoon, or no, it was, uh, what was it? Thursday afternoon, Thanksgiving. I took him home Thursday afternoon, and I was like, I was like, remind, do I turn here? Like where? And so then he started giving me directions to his house because it was obvious that even though I'd been there so so many times, I was completely lost. Um, but when we make a, a decision, we say, I'm going to go to this place. Okay, I believe that God is calling me here. And then we make a wrong turn. The Spirit of God has the ability to reroute us. The Spirit of God has the ability to recalculate. The Spirit of God can, can make adjustments for us. So this is the, the last thought then when it, when it comes to this peace of God that's on our lives is, is that, that when we make the wrong decision, when we make the wrong choice, we can trust God because we've gone through the process of praising Him, understanding that He's near to us, seeking His face, asking the Holy Spirit, getting around other believers, right? We've gone through all of these steps and now we lay it in His hands we say, God, I trust you. And if I make a wrong decision, I trust that you're going to make that right too. Romans 8.28 says that he works all things together for good. Even my wrong turns, even my bad decisions, even the, the times that I mess up, the times that I fail, God works all of those things together for good. And, and so often, especially when it comes to like working with teenagers, one of the big questions was, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. And we'd tell them, well, we'll just start moving. Just start, just start doing something. Do, do you know, and we'd, we'd talk with them and we'd help them to, to you know, kind of narrow down their choices and stuff. But it was, like, it was like, if you decide to go, you know, study computers and it turns out that you really want to be a veterinarian, God's going to make that clear to you as you're studying computers, right? But if you decide just to sit at home and play video games all day long and not make a decision, then you're not gonna you're not gonna progress in life. So it was like it was like we're gonna we're gonna put together all of the facts. We're gonna weigh the pros and cons. We're gonna listen to the Holy Spirit. We're gonna lay it at His feet. But then we're gonna trust God that if I if I don't get this exactly right, He's gonna reroute me. He's gonna recalculate. He's gonna figure it out. He's gonna get me to where He wants me to go because He loves me and He's got a plan for my life. And that's what it all comes down to. I'm gonna have the worship team. Go ahead and, and join me on stage. You see it in Paul's life. You see, Paul was a, a person that, that hated Christians before he became one. He was actually on his way to a different city because he was like, I've persecuted all of the Christians that I can in this city. I want to go and try it in a new city now. So he's on his way. God knocks him off his horse. It's like God is recalculating, right? God, is, God, God has a different plan for his life, so, so he, he changes his direction, but then he goes and, and, and he, he gets to this city, and, and he's, he's blind, 
Because God, God showed up to him, and, and in the process, he was, he was blinded, and, and God sends somebody to pray for him so that he might be healed, and God recalculates his life in that moment. He reroutes his life in that moment, but then, then what does he do? He, he doesn't immediately jump in to preaching. Instead, he takes three years, and he learns, and he studies, and he, he, he grows in his faith, and he learns more about who this Jesus guy was. And then God reroutes him again. He says, okay, now you're done studying. Now I need you to go over here and do this. And, and in the midst of going and doing, we see there are times when he's persecuted. We see there are times when he's shipwrecked. We see there are times when he's in prison. One time, Paul says in the book of Acts that he prayed fervently that he might be able to go in a certain direction. And every time the Holy Spirit told him no. Every time the Holy Spirit stopped him and said, no, you think that your route is this way, but I'm moving you over here. And now we see, and we, we talked about it last week, but Paul is in Rome. He finally made it to Rome, which was his goal, but he's under house arrest. And yet even this, God is using for his glory because he's got all of these prison guards that are coming into his house every day to, to stand watch over him, to stand guard over him. And he's, he's like, for eight hours a day, I've got you. For eight hours a day, I get to witness to you. I get to share my faith with you. And so he said that even this has gone to advance the gospel. Because God has a plan. And God has a purpose. God has something that he wants you to do. So how does this affect your decisions? How does this affect the things that God wants you to do? Well, the first thing I have to acknowledge is that I don't know. <laughs> You're like, you just talked for half an hour about this. How do you not know? The truth is, this is something that we all knew. We all knew that when we, when we face difficult decisions, the best thing for us is to take a breath, to pause, to gather a bunch of information, and then to make the best decision that we can with the information that we have. What I'm asking you to do is in your pausing, in your gathering information, to include in there Christian brothers and sisters, people that have walked with God longer than you, that can help encourage you, and then we're going to take it to God in prayer. And the Bible says that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Real quick, how do we know that God is speaking to us? It's going to align with the Word of God. It's going to be confirmed by the people of God. You're going to get peace from the Spirit of God. And we're going to trust that God is working all things for good. So that even if you make a decision that is, you know, and then you're like, oh, well, now I'm missing out because I should have made this decision over here. We're going to trust that God can reroute us. We're going to trust that God can get us to where He wants us to go because He's got a purpose and a plan for your life. Father God, we thank you that you didn't call us to be solo Christians. You didn't call us to do this life alone, but God, you provided a body of believers for us to connect with. And Lord, the, that in our decisions, in our overwhelming state, in our anxiety, in our fear, in our doubt, we can turn to you and we can turn to other believers because we know that your spirit speaks to us and speaks through them on our behalf. 
So Lord, I pray now as we come to you in prayer, I, I just ask that, that your spirit would, would work something in our hearts right now. God, that you would give us the peace that we're looking for. And I would invite Christians across this place just to begin praying at this time. Whatever it is, whatever you're, you're, you've been trying to decide on, whatever your heart has been confused by, I want to encourage you right now to open up your heart to Him, to lay those things down at His feet, that we want to trust Him with everything that we're going through, trusting that He's going to make a way, trusting that He's going to do what only He can do in these circumstances and situations. And we believe that God didn't call us to be alone, but instead we believe that God called us to come together as a body of believers, a family learning to love like Jesus, because we know that God has a purpose and a plan for us. If you don't have a community like that, if you've, if you've been lost, if you've been struggling with your, with your faith, or you, it's been a long time since you've been, been in a church, or it's been a long time since you've been among believers, and you're like, I want that relationship with God, and I want that relationship with other believers. Uh, and especially right now, I want to focus on that relationship with God aspect of it. Because what the Bible says is the Bible says that we were, we were lost in our sins. We were separated from Him. But Jesus made a way. And, and Jesus came. He paid our price so that we can come and have a relationship with Him again. So that when we go to Him, when we're facing tough decisions, we can go to Him and we can trust that He is, is going to answer us and He is going to give us the peace that we're looking for. If you're looking for that peace, if you're looking for that, that relationship with God, if you've never accepted Jesus into your heart or if it's been a long time, I'm going to count to three in just a minute and I'm going to have you raise your hand. And if you want to accept Jesus into your heart, we're going to have you, we're going to have you raise your hand when I count to three and then we're going to pray a prayer together. And what we're going to do is we're just going to, we're just going to say, God, I know that I've messed up, but God, I ask that you would forgive me. And God, I want you to be Lord of my life. What, what that Lord of my life means is, God, I want you to be involved in the decision-making process. I want you to lead me because the decisions are too overwhelming on my own. I want you to guide me because I don't always know what to do, but I trust in you. So if you're in here and you want to accept Jesus into your heart, I'm going to count to three. I'm going to have you go ahead and raise your hand as I count to three. Ready? One, two, three. If you're in here and you want to accept Jesus into your heart, go ahead and raise your hand high. If you're watching online, make sure to click the link in the chat. We want to, we want to connect with you. I see a couple hands. Is there anybody else? I see another hand here. Anybody else? You want to accept Jesus into your heart. If you're watching us online, make sure to click the link in the chat. If you're here in person, after we pray, I want you to fill out one of the Next Steps cards and click the box that says, I've decided to follow Jesus because we want to follow up with you and we want to encourage you in this. Anybody else? Anybody else in here? All right. Let's all go ahead and pray together. I want all of us to repeat this together out loud. Say, Father God, I know that I've messed up. I know that I've sinned. Please forgive me. I want you to be Lord of my life. Help me in all of the decisions I need to make. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we celebrate with those who joined the family of God today?